Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Christy Craig. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. For those that I told what I was talking about, and I, I, when I start, you're going to go, well, that doesn't sound like it, because uh, I was sitting in worship, and I felt the Lord say, and I was really prepared. I spent a couple hours yesterday. <laughs> I felt the Lord say, don't talk about what you're going to talk about. I want you to talk about this. So here we go. No. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I just realized that um, Christmas is over. I know the 12 days are gone, 15 days are gone, and it's just... Uh, kind of a sad thing, but I had, I had two Christmas jokes I didn't get to before. Are you okay with two Christian Christmas jokes? Yeah. All right. Why don't hip hop artists perform on Christmas? Because that's the one day they get to unwrap. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I should have ended with that one. I grew up in Rochester, New York. We had a big mafia contingency in Rochester, New York. And uh, if, if you're here today, God bless you. <laughs> you know, um, my dad taught uh, in, in high school there in a school called Gates Chile, and there was the son of a, one of the mafia leaders, and he had been a sergeant of arms. <laughs> in other words, he was a knee breaker for a long time, and, and, uh, and he rose through the ranks. and. <clears throat> Through um, a bizarre incident, we got to become friends with the family. And uh, so it was a very unusual kind of a thing where as a, as a boy of 10 or 12, he would, he would open up a cabinet and there would be all sorts of like electric razors. I remember him giving me a half a dozen electric razors when I was 12. And I was hoping for hair and I didn't have any. So, it was, uh, so this, this is a, called a mafia Christmas joke. Um, a mafioso son sits at his desk writing a Christmas list to Jesus. He writes, Dear baby Jesus, I've been a good boy this whole year, so I want... No, no. He looks at it, crumbles it up, and throws it away. He gets out another piece of paper and writes, Dear baby Jesus, I've been a pretty good boy for most of the year, so I'd like it... And he crumbles it up and throws it away. He goes to his mother's room and takes a statue of the Virgin Mary. He puts it in a closet and locks the door takes another piece of paper and writes, Dear baby Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> okay, well, that's all he wanted me to share this morning. So, God bless you. you know, between what Keith had to say and, and uh, what Jordan uh, did... Um, by doing things backwards. It's a backwards time. It's a bizarre time. Um, I don't think any of us, especially those of us, I would just be honest with you, those of us over 40 and 50, um, and, and knowing what kind of world we fought against in, in the 40s and, and on and fought for, I should say, um, we never thought that certain things would be going on that are going on now. Am I right? All right, those of you that are, that are younger um, and uh, don't have um, the same kind of uh, 
historical understanding. This is not a put down. This is not a, you know, we know something you don't know. That's not it. Uh, nor is this a political uh, message. I'm not going to be political at all. Uh, it's not my heart. Um, <clears throat> I, I look. I look at Jesus, I look at the apostles' lives, and when I read um, Acts and I, I read the Gospels and Acts and I read the letters, uh, I don't hear a lot of political jargon, but I hear a lot of love. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I feel the Lord wants us to do as a people is to be ready. But what does that mean to be ready? Um, in, in Matthew 22, I think it is, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who's preparing a marriage for his son. That's, that's the, the verse. I think it's verse 2. Um, so the kingdom of heaven is like a king who's preparing a marriage for his son. I, I think we can all figure out, you know, with our theological degrees that we have, we can figure out, gosh, who's the king and who's the son and what's the marriage? Well, we, we think we know that. And we're the bride. So if, if, we, if we know that this is coming, a lot goes into preparing a marriage. Um, I've married uh, my daughters and walked down the aisle, and I turned around, and after somebody else introduced, you know, who gives this man to be married, um, I say, I do, and then I walked on stage and literally married my children. Um, <laughs> no, that sounds bad, but it's true. <laughs> um, if you missed the joke, then listen to it later. Um, <clears throat> um, and what, what is preparing? And then he goes into, in Matthew 22, 23, 24, he goes into this end-time understanding, and then he ends it all with Matthew 25 about the ten virgins. Now, I'm not here, I'm not going to go through the, the ten virgins, but the, there's five wise and five foolish. A lot of people have said it's five unsaved and five saved. I don't agree with that. There's 10 virgins, which means pure ones. So 10 pure ones are looking for the coming of their bridegroom. That doesn't sound like unsaved to me. But you can be unsaved and you can be saved and unprepared. Okay? So the, the, the difference between the two is just simply this. Five had oil, extra oil. Five didn't. And when they have extra oil, what that was back in that culture, it was a little vial like this. And a lot of times it, it was a long, elongated kind of a tube. And what they, what they would do is they had different garments, but they, you pull back on one and hold it onto the belt of, of the lady was extra oil. These little, these, these little things filled with, with extra oil so that if, if the lamp burned out, you can then use it. <clears throat> and... Um, it, foolish does not mean unsaved. It, it just means uh, they're without wisdom. To, to, that particular word for foolish, it's just lacking wisdom. They didn't walk in wisdom. And so um, <clears throat> when the bridegroom comes, five get up and, and they, oh, we're ready. And they light the lamp and they go out. And the, the other five, the foolish ones, are the ones that were unprepared. They can't light it. So they turn to the, to the wise ones and they, they say, listen, give me some of your oil. Just... Just please give me some of your oil. Now, if you've read the, the verse before, read the chapter, I don't know about you, but I used to get upset at the wise virgins. It's like, I can't. Yes, you can. You've got extra. <laughs> just, come on, share. And, and I said, you stupid virgins. You know, it's just like, I get so mad at them. It's like one message after another. I'd sit back and go, oh, 
stupid virgins. <laughs> yeah. and, but then I came to realize what they had were answers and what they had was wisdom. What they had was something more. They had a, a relationship that they had more oil. So to get more oil, how do you get more oil? Well, you dig for it or you crush. So they allowed the digging and the crushing to take place in their life to obtain more oil. So to, 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 to dig means to go deeper. You get foundation. You get, it, it's something greater. There's something down there, and I got to work to get it. I'm not better than you. It's just that we both know that down there is something better, and I'm going to get it. And the other one is all these things are coming at me in my life, and what do I do? And a lot of times we don't have the answers for them, and, but we just allow God to do what he's doing. And that particular bit of crushing allows an oil in our life that we wouldn't have had beforehand. And so I can't give my relationship to somebody else. The wise virgins couldn't give their oil because the oil represented the digging and the crushing in their individual lives. I can't give that away. I used to work with a guy named Mike Bickle. Mike just has this amazing, lovely relationship with the Lord. And people would say, would you pray for me that I have a relationship like you? He goes, well, there's crushing. <laughs> you know, there's digging. Um, uh, by the way, I can't pray that you have a relationship. You have to go after a relationship. And so, uh, again, it, it's not one over another. It's just one walking in wisdom when one didn't walk in wisdom. <clears throat> and... Um, the, uh, the question for me, in Ephesians 1, 19, it says, the exceeding greatness of his power is towards those who believe. And the word believe means to those who believe and go after. So there's a difference between sitting back and believing and there's something else of going after. So what do we go after? I think what we go after is what's talked about this morning is truth. What is truth? Truth is in, in moments of question, we have an answer. I think right now we're at, uh, I got saved in 1973. I don't remember a time when the, the U.S., but particularly the body of Christ in the U.S., has had more questions now than I've ever seen it. And some people are just downtrodden, flummoxed, um, because they, their hope is in something, but the hope is in something different than it should be. It's not a slam. It's not a slap. It's just when, when our hope is in, in someone in, instead of the one, uh, you'll always be disappointed at some point. If you get married and you, just, you get married to the most perfect person in the world, you will find out before year one is over with, maybe before the honeymoon is over with, <laughs> that that is not the most perfect person in the world. <coughs> I have friends who, oh, my wife is perfect. We've been married 27 years. She's perfect. That's bull. <laughs> Number one, I know she's not. <laughs> and he knows she's not. But we do the Christian thing and talk about how perfect someone is. Okay. <laughs> uh, David says, when I consider the heavens in, in Psalm 8, when I consider heavens, the work of your hands, the moon, the stars which you ordained. What is man that you're mindful of him? Why do you even care about me? 
what, what, what is in it? You know, in, in, uh, in Psalm 19, and this is one of my favorites, Psalm 19, 1 through 5, there's a little, little verse that says, like a bridegroom who comes out of his chamber. That's how God is in humanity. He's like a bridegroom, and every now and then he comes out of his chamber to do something. It's pretty cool. So David asked this, this question, and <clears throat> I had written this down before. This guy named Richard Feynman, he was a Nobel uh, laureate in physics. He said this, truth is recognized by its beauty and its simplicity. So if we're looking for answers, we need to look for something that is beautiful and simple. And right now we're looking for complex answers to political questions that are, that are hurting us. Things are, we, we feel and I believe are unfair. Is that okay to say? I just think things right now that, that, that and some people don't care. They want to tip a scale way over here. Or they want to tip a scale way over here. We're, oh, it's unfair. <clears throat> so, my, my thought is this morning, I'm standing over there during worship and talking about when he walks into the room, everything changes. Okay, it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Okay, that's what the song is about. It's not that Jesus can walk into a room and then suddenly he's in my room, yay, life is good. And then he walks out of my room, yay, life is bad. Jesus doesn't walk out of the room. He's in there. So let me ask you, the question is this. When he walks into the room, how does he get from room to room? You carry him. He's not separate from you. When he walks into the room, you've walked into the room, so he walks into the room. The power that dwells within. He's internal. Unlike David in Psalm 51, <clears throat> which Nathan so beautifully and eloquently brought four questions last week. It was just, it was just amazing. Four prayers last week, which was, it was beautiful. I loved it. But it says, Lord, don't take your, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And the, the real wording there is, don't lift it off me. Don't lift it off me. Well, he can't now. He's indwelling. He's not going to lift off. So we have this power within. We have this God that's in us that wants us to make a change because we've walked into a room. <clears throat> so uh, how many liked science growing up? Okay, I see both hands. Let's see. <laughs> Actually, I could probably count on two or three hands. I only have two, but, you know, if I had three. Uh, how many hated science? How many? Oh, wow, hardly any. How many just don't care about science? Okay, that's where you find God. When I consider the heavens, oh, what is man that you're mindful of him? So I think God wants us, I, I'm going to go on a little science jaunt. Okay? Are you all right? All right. Good. This side is. How about over here? Are we okay? Okay. Okay. Thumbs up. Back in the corner. Yes. Thank you. Thumbs down from her. Okay. Maybe you'll like science a little more because I'll connect it to... Uh, maybe you won't. Who knows? I don't know. <clears throat> okay. There's, there's really three worlds. I taught science for years. <clears throat> there's three worlds uh, within the realm of what we're going to talk about, which is the macro, the midi, and the micro. The macro is just huge. The midi is the world that we live in. The micro is that which we don't see. So I, we're going to go with just three different... Now, that we've learned something new. This No. <laughs> Earth, 8,000 miles in diameter. 
25,000 miles in its circumference. We all know that, right? You learn that in what grade? Like third, fourth grade, right? All right. <clears throat> if I were to take the earth and pluck it out and open the sun and then begin to put earths in the sun, I would put one million earths inside the sun. <clears throat> sun is huge. And it's not a huge sun. It's not. It's, it means it's, it's middle of the road. Don't, don't say that outside. He gets a little bit, in, you know, he's sensitive. <clears throat> um, the sun, which is, this, this is unbelievable. How big is the sun? It consumes over 4 million tons of its own matter every second. By the time I said that, it consumed approximately 30 million tons of its own matter while I said that sentence. But the sun's going to last another five to six billion years. So it's going to be around a while. <clears throat> Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Per second. While I said that, light just traveled, I don't know, approximately 800,000 miles while I said that one little sentence. That's, that's a long way. It takes light about eight to nine minutes from the sun to, to reach the earth. It, light in a year. Can you imagine how far it goes in a year? And yet our galaxy from edge to edge is a small galaxy, and yet it's 100,000 light years from one tip to the other. So if light takes off from one end of our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, by the way, which is right next to um, the Three Musketeer galaxy. Um, I, this is my favorite galaxy that we live in, by the way. Um, it's, it, <laughs> light starts out, 100,000 light years later, it reaches the other side of our galaxy. And how many galaxies are there? At least 150 billion galaxies. And we ask the questions, are my problems too big for God? When I consider the heavens, I get answers. When I look past my navel, I get answers. When I seek something beyond its unfair, I get answers. Wow. Are my problems too big? No, not at all. I've seen impossible things change in 24 hours. Impossible. Impossible situations. Impossible medical situations. Impossible financial situations. 24 hours later, everything is different. The person is, is humbled. Why are, they, why are we humbled? Is it supposed to expect it? Now, I think humbled is good. I know a guy that recently preached a sermon on humility. <laughs> As I said, I, I, I won most humble at my church years ago. But they took it away because I wore the button every week. Um, <laughs> Listen, it's a serious time. We might as well have a little fun on the journey, right? <clears throat> Oxygen makes up 21% of the Earth's atmosphere. 21% of the Earth's atmosphere. Not 20, not 22, 21%. Why is it not 22? Because if the Earth had 22% oxygen makeup, it would be scorched by unstoppable fires. We would die. 
What if it was 20? If it was 20, there would be a, a, over a period of time, every living creature would suffocate and die. It has to be 21. Wow. So we ask, are the political situations and problems that seemed are, that are before me, are they too complex for you, God? And he goes, no, 21%. That's my answer. 21%. Have you gotten up to scorchable, unstoppable fires this morning? No, 21%. Are you suffocating? You might feel like it, but you're not. 21%. When I consider the heavens, he's got answers for everything I have. Um, Nothing's too big. Nothing is too complex. Um, And and, uh, these poor guys, guys back there were wonderful. They had every... Uh, scripture that I was going to have before uh, up there. Um, <laughs> and I sent him the scriptures, and Chris Nelson back there said, this is great, thank you so much. And I went back just before I walked up here, and I said, God's not letting me do that one. I'm going to do something different. Scrap all those scriptures. So thank you for your time, Chris, and, <laughs> and your bro. <laughs> um, <laughs> Second Corinthians 4, 7 through 10 says this. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus would be manifest in our mortal flesh. <clears throat> David said, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Well, you have to get through death to get to life. Nothing alive gets resurrected. Never. It has to be dead. And there are some things right now that God's calling us to die to, which is how I want life to be. I want it to be this way. Die to it. I've got something better. No, I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm going to believe this for my life, and for let it go. We carry the death so the life could be manifest. Which means, when we say we carry the death, what does that theologically mean? It means that there's an aspect of control I give away so that his life is in control of me. In the world of the Midi, uh, three-time presidential nominee nominee who never actually became president, um, William Jennings Bryan, brilliant man. He said this, which is a bizarre statement until you get to why they said, he said, why did you say that? He said, let me tell you. So what he said was this, when you explain to me the mystery of the watermelon, ask me about the mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of the watermelon? I, I like watermelons. I, I, I like pitless watermelons or ones with pits around people that I want to hit with. I used to be very good it's spitting a, a pit. I used to love it when it, it stick to their cheek. Anyway, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> why would he say that? Well, he said that for this reason. One watermelon seed draws 200,000 times its weight from the ground. Let me say it again. One watermelon seed will draw 200,000 times its weight from the ground. And then we ask the question, are my gifts too small? No. No. 
plant it, water it, watch over it. Don't, don't do one of these things, here's, here's my gift, okay, Lord, I said it, there it is, do something with it. He goes, well, I want you to go out and I want you to dig a little, I want you to plant it, and then I want your lifestyle to be one to nurture the gift that I've given you. If you just set a watermelon seed on a hard table, it will dry up. Doesn't mean the seed's gone. Doesn't mean actually what's inside is gone. It's dried up. Actually, if you then take that dried up watermelon seed, soak it for a little bit, and then plant it, it'll grow. It just needs to be planted. And the thing about planting is it goes into a place that's dark. You don't know what's going to happen. That's another aspect of carrying the dying, which is I don't always know exactly how this is going to happen. You know, explain to me the... Uh, the, the, the way that a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. I've asked every scientist that I know, what happens inside the chrysalis? Well, there's a metamorphosis that takes place. No, no, tell me what that is. Well, it takes place, this, it, it changes. For, I know it changes. Well, it, it consumes this and it, yeah. You can't tell me, can you? No. <laughs> Sometimes we just don't know what's going on, and that's okay. <clears throat> a peregrine falcon. By the way, it's the fastest animal on the earth. Nothing is faster. It, it dives at between 200 and 240 miles an hour. I mean, that thing just puts its wing back and goes down. Nothing comes close to that. <clears throat> it can spot prey from five miles away. So peregrine falcon is out there just hanging out. He looks down, four miles away, a mouse comes up. He sees movement on the ground. Before the mouse knows it, he's dinner. Five miles away. <laughs> Someone back in that corner goes, yay! <laughs> you must hate mice. <clears throat> he, see, he, can, he can spot something. You know, if you take a peregrine falcon, this is really true. If, now, if you could teach it to read, I know it sounds stupid, but if you could make a, if a falcon could read, you take a football field, you put the peregrine falcon on one end, you put a newspaper on the other end and open it up and it could read the newspaper. That's how good its eyes are. And then we ask the question, does God see me? Yeah, he made a peregrine falcon just for you. He created this, this, this bird that can fly so high and go so fast and with eyes that are like nothing on the planet. And he created it so you can say, hey, guess what? If a bird can do that, guess what your God can do? I see you every time. You are not ignored. You are not looked over. You're not passed over. In the midst of what's going on right now, God knows exactly what's going on with you, what exactly what you need. There might be some dying so that the life can come. I don't know. There might be some planting, okay, that we need to do with our giftings. Speaking of monarch butterflies, <clears throat> you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a place down in central Mexico where all the butterflies from the United States and southern, or northern Mexico fly down to, and they all go to this field. In other words, a, a butterfly will fly up into central Pennsylvania, mate, die, that butterfly may make it to the end of the season, it might not, it may die, 
and then there's another monarch butterfly. And that monarch butterfly goes back to the exact same field in central Mexico that all the other, that its grandfather or father flew up from. They go back to the same field. I, that, it just boggles my mind. You can look it up online. Don't do it now because you'll be very distracted because you'll be looking at butterflies and, and the pictures are really cool. I mean, it, there's just billions of monarch butterflies in this huge field in central, central Mexico. <coughs> how does a, how does a, I'm sorry, butterflies, how does an almost brainless butterfly <laughs> go from Harrisburg to uh, uh, Hanover. I mean, how does it just, it, it starts off and, hey, the other butterflies are going, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm going somewhere. Where are you going? I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to go till I go. Well, I'm coming too. And, and then suddenly the family comes along. She says, hey, dad, where are we going? I don't know. Let's just go. And they all go to the same place. They go, how'd you know to get here? I didn't. <laughs> we say, to, so can God lead me? He leads a brainless butterfly to a field in central Mexico. Yes, he can lead you. This is this, God's amazing. If you go to the micro, wow, that's a whole other world. <clears throat> um, this is a quote from a scientist that I respect. I just can't believe it. Okay? I, I have to because it's science and we have to believe. No, sorry. <clears throat> Depends on what the scientist is saying this week. Um, <clears throat> if <laughs> did I say that? Did did one of you? Uh, anyway, if every last bit of uh, DNA DNA polymers they hold all the design info for every plant and animal species ever created. If you were to take the DNA polymers and design for every species that would make and put it all together, it would fit into a teaspoon. All the DNA polymers for every plant and animal species would fit into a teaspoon. That's how small it is. How small is small? Have you ever hear a super string before? It's not a game that you give to kids. It's super string. <clears throat> it's subatomic particles. And they're so small that, that a, a super, super string to an atom is what an atom is to the earth. So you take the earth and you, you're down to one atom. And you take the atom and it go down to one superstring. <clears throat> I'm getting there. A single rye plant can grow 300 miles of roots in a summer. One rye plant can grow 300 miles of roots in a summer. And during that time, it grows 14 billion root hairs that each one of them could become a plant. That's unbelievable. That's why when you plant rye, boy, do you get rye. <laughs> so we ask the question, does God care about the little things in my life? Yeah, he does. The little things in your life are amazing. We talked about an atom. We don't, we don't call it a mountain bomb. It's called an atom bomb. It's not this huge thing that splits and does something amazing. It's the small thing when given, when given the opportunity to unveil all its power releases the greatest power we've ever seen. Okay? We have within us the life of Jesus. He lives in us. He, we have answers if we'll look. 
sometimes we have to look to the heavens. I had an opportunity to speak to, uh, <clears throat> some years ago, to go to Kona and speak to the YWAM group there for a week. And one night, <clears throat> our host said, hey, come with us. And my wife was there, and the four of us went out. <clears throat> we went to a golf course that was closed. It was really dark. And we had either iPhones or some flashlight. And then we went down into this little gully that was there <clears throat> and laid in the gully and turned off our flashlights and looked up. I have never seen the heavens look like they that, that day. It was, I mean, the Milky Way galaxy. I, I've seen bits and, you know, hey, that's the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah, there it is. And we're a part of it. It's so big that you look up and it seems separate. And yeah, you're right in the middle of it. That's the bizarre thing. <clears throat> and I just remember that night thinking that this God that created that, how dare I think I'm, I'm anything more than what he loves? It's a bizarre statement, but it's not. He knows your situation. Don't despise the day of small beginnings because small things, if put correctly, can change the course of history. <clears throat> David could have asked this question. Because of my sin, am I disqualified? So you can get all through and saying, oh, God's, God's got me. Yeah, no, <clears throat> nothing's too big. Nothing's too small. He sees me. We can get through all the questions. And at the end, we can say, yeah, but... I've screwed up so much, I'm disqualified. David's the one that asked that question, and David's the one that has to deal with this question. I let my friend go to the front of the battle so he would die, and it would cover up my sin of impregnating his wife. Whew. That's a tough one to haul around. <clears throat> well, obviously, he's disqualified. Well, it would depend on which covenant you live in. Do you live in an old covenant? Again, I, I love the Old Testament, and I am so glad we're through with the old covenant. I, that's actually what I was going to talk about this morning was, was what Hebrews had to say about the old It's dead. And it actually it talk, it calls about being thrown into the grave. And that one of the words that he, the writer of Hebrews uses that the old covenant is now useless. Wow, that's those strong words for Old Testament. Well, it's not really the Old Testament. It's a covenant made during the Old Testament. But it's been broken. It, it does not exist anymore. Though all the judgments of the old, old covenant are now gone. They've been replaced by mercy and grace of the new covenant. So we live in a new covenant, a covenant of grace. So when David was under the old covenant, there were things that he that God did not have to allow in good for his life. He could have been slain right then. They could have found out. He could have been stoned. He could have <clears throat> gone through all sorts of things that, that would have been fine for that old covenant. But God wants to manifest and show himself through David in a different covenant. So David becomes a type of Christ where God then shows mercy and grace to David. He allows him to live, but he's got to live with the consequences. He allows him to reign, but he has to reign with the consequences of his sin. <clears throat> I love grace. I always do. I love forgiveness. The fact of the matter is most of us don't live in a world where we have to make political answers all the time. Most of the things that we have to do are to forgive, to give mercy, to be patient, 
to extend grace. That's the world where most of our life is lived. Listen, as I said, forgiveness covers sin, but grace invites us to get up off the ground and live again. I said this one time out there, it was just a little thing at the end of uh, one, one Sunday, <clears throat> Steve and I both shared, Steve S. Palmer and I, and I, I just said this little thing about, about grace, <clears throat> and I'll say it again here. Um, I remember growing, growing up in the Lord, I got saved, as I said, at 19 years old in 73, and they talked about having a balanced life. And I remember, um, how many remember the Ed Sullivan show? Okay, you're old. All right. Um, sorry. <laughs> the Ed Sullivan show was uh, a Sunday night, and I loved it because the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, by the way. Not that I would know that it was February 9th, 1964. But the, uh, <laughs> did I? Yeah. Okay. So on the Ed Sullivan show, they had all these bizarre things. They had dancing bears from Russia. Okay. They, they, had, um, they had men dressing up as women singing a song like Barbara Streisand. I know, I got really quiet there. They, they had uh, Topo Gijo, a little fake mouse that would come out and talk to Ed Sullivan. How many love Topo Gijo? I love Topo Gijo. And they had the Beatles. They had all the great groups at the time. <clears throat> but one of the things that they had that always made me nervous they had the guy that did the plates on the sticks. Remember the plates on the, they'd have all these sticks up and the guy would start and he'd spin a plate. And then he'd spin another plate. And then he'd spin another plate. And he'd do this with 10 plates on sticks. And his whole thing was to keep them going as long as he could. And every now and then a plate would wobble. You know, and he'd get over in time. But every now and then he couldn't get over in time and the plate would crash and fall. And the audience would go, ooh. <laughs> it was always fun. I don't know. We were going to get the Russian dancing bear and the plate guy. It was just... <laughs> That's just how it went. <coughs> and his whole thing was to balance. But if you've got so many things going on, sooner or later, something's not going to be perfectly imbalanced. Is your life perfectly imbalanced? You're very quiet. Is everything just perfectly imbalanced in your life? And you're just, you just live in such contentment because everything is smooth. And I don't know anyone that is perfectly balanced. And if they are internally, they're, they're moving plates around all the time. <laughs> you know, somewhere along the line, so there's some kind of movement going on. It's either external or internal. And the internal one's probably more dangerous than the external one. <clears throat> and I just realized that, and I, I did this before outside in the tent, that <clears throat> if I, here we go. At least it shows I don't have that much of a flathead. Now, I'm going to run across the stage, and it's going to stay on my head. How many believe that? Two people. Three, four. All right. You see, people that spend all their time balancing something just don't go anywhere. I don't balance grace. <clears throat> I, I receive it fully so that I'm empowered to do what God's called me to do. 
Grace gives me answers. Grace shows the heart of God so that I get the true answers from God. We talk about truth. What is truth? Truth is exactly what God says it is. The world's trying to tell you something else is true. It's not. If God doesn't say it's true, it's not. Therefore, I have to have grace to see the, the true personality of God. If I don't have grace, if, it mix, if it's mixed up with condemnation or shame, I view God differently, therefore I move differently. I don't move out of grace. I move to make his heart content with me so that I can live my life without him bothering me. What does grace do? It empowers me to know the heart of God so that I can move in the truth of my life. I, can't, I don't want to balance grace. I am all for all grace. Matter of fact, sometime I'll just go and give you the, the biblical, I'll, I'll go through scripture and give you exactly what it says grace is. People call about sloppy grace and, and this kind of grace and that kind of, look up the word grace, find if there's anything that says it's sloppy. It's over the top. It's over the top. Never gives me permission to sin. That's not sloppy grace, that's sloppy obedience. It's not sloppy grace, because grace is never sloppy. It's beautiful. I can't balance. Do I balance grace? What do I balance grace with? How, do I, you know, how about love? I balance love by adding more hate to my life. I hate just as much as I love. Now I'm balanced. No. How do I balance faith? I, I increase my unbelief. No, that's just stupid. How do, you, how, do you, how do you balance mercy? I walk in greater judgment. No. That's foolish. How do I balance grace? I don't. I receive it fully so I know the heart and the motives of God so that I can hear when I say, well, God, is this too small for you? It's just, no, I see it. I see you. I see the situation. You are not alone. That's what I want to end that on this morning. <clears throat> Thomas Jefferson made this comment one time. Um, and, and I'm realizing that I am on the wrong page for it because <laughs> I'm not expecting to do this. He said this, I'd rather be exposed to the inconveniences attending too much liberty than to those attending too small a degree of it. I would have, rather have more liberty and deal with the consequences than crush liberty to balance out life. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to have extreme understanding of God's nature and truth and grace so that we can be fully equipped to deal with what God has for us. And right now, the body of Christ needs to be equipped to have answers. Do you agree? Good. Stand with me. <clears throat> we okay this morning? Good. <clears throat> Just close your eyes a second. <coughs> Just right now, wherever you're at, what I'd like you to do is to say, Lord, what is the one thing that I have questions about that, that, that bring anxiety because I'm unsure of what's going to happen? Right now, this, talk about a time when we don't know what's going to happen. 
We don't know what social media uh, platform is going to be removed because I said this a year ago. We don't know what, what disconnect there's going to be in our life because of this or that. We don't know what the next four years are. All I know is the truth of the goodness of God. And I know that you have answers for me when I need them. And so what I'd like to do, there's a lot of people here that, that uh, are, are here to pray with you and pray for you. you those, those that are in that place, just come forward if you would. <coughs> but if, if you're here this morning and you have questions and you don't have answers yet, if you have anxiety and you don't even know what questions that you have, you're just anxious. You have something in your spirit that's stirred, but it's not a good stirring. It's not a God stirring. If you're here this morning and your body needs healing, your family needs prayer, God wants to come and reveal the true nature of who he is. And he wants to bring you answers. When I look to the heavens, what is man that you're mindful of me? I'll tell you what is man. It's the creature he created to lavish his affection upon. That's who we are his sons and his daughters. And like Keith said before, <clears throat> sometimes I'm this way to my child and other times I'm this way. Right now, God wants to come as a father and comfort and just confirm to you that he has the answers for your life. So come in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 